Society mediates between the extremes of, on the one hand, intolerably strict morality, and on the other, dangerously anarchic permissiveness through an unspoken agreement whereby we are given leave to bend the rules of the strictest morality, provided we do so quietly and discreetly. Hypocrisy is the grease that keeps society functioning in an agreeable way. Janet Malcolm, the journalist and the murderer. Hello and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes, the podcast where every week we take a deep dive into one of the works of controversial author Brett Easton Ellis. I am your host, Katie Wright, and joining me this week is a Twitter user and Brett Easton Ellis uh, aficionado, Liz Andre. Hello, Liz. Hey there, Katie. I'm Liz. Um, yeah, been a fan of Brett Easton Ellis for most of my life. That's incredible. So yeah, the first thing I like to ask my guests is to like, uh, is to kind of talk about their history with Brett. So uh, what's what's your relationship to him like? Um, it's a lot. I uh, alternate between calling him my husband, my son. Um, I yell about why what uh, Todd has that I don't. Um, <laughs> I think around thirteen, maybe uh, a friend of mine on the internet. Uh, suggested I watch the rules of attraction and I did then I read the book then I read all the other books um by 14 he was definitely my favorite author uh 2005 Lunar Park was released and my parents took me to a signing which great parenting Um, (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) yeah and then there's just following him on social media twitter um just he's a little sweet nightmare baby and the love of my life Ah, oh, it's so nice to hear somebody else call him Little Sweet Nightmare Baby. <laughs> I look like the first time I saw you tweeting about Brett, I was like, this person is my kindred spirit, at least in terms of Brett Easton Ellis emotions. Like, I feel like not a, not enough people have the right balance of, like, admiration and condescension and disgust <laughs> towards Brett. This is really what he deserves. <laughs> but I feel like you just I feel like you've got the exact right yeah, <laughs> perspective I read the Amazon reviews on this book and it is like nearly five stars and like people oh. like it seriously wow wow so so uh before before we get into what we thought of the book um you're a lifelong Brady Stanellis fan uh were you planning on reading this book before I asked you to read it for this podcast it's a real maybe. Um, like I didn't watch the canyons. Um, I haven't engaged oh, yeah. with the content really. I l- listened to his podcast when I started it, and the Kanye episodes are so good. Um, maybe I appreciate <laughs> Kanye more. He, I, you know what? I don't think I listened to the Kanye episodes. I feel like I maybe started and got bored. <laughs> um, but I feel like I'm really happy that he and Kanye are friends. They have. Like, they seem like a good match. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also feel that way about him and Eli Roth. Like, I'm like, you guys are maybe a little bit like boring to listen to for me, but I'm really happy that you have each other because I think that I think you have a lot to offer each other. Um, so you were you were a maybe on whether to read White. Uh, because uh, why was that? As somebody who's like such a big Brady Sonalis fan, why weren't you like, yeah, I'm definitely gonna read it. I would read it when I had the time and sort of uh, emotional capacity to Mm -hmm. Um, probably if you and Lenny kept talking about it, I uh, would have read it faster, but definitely going out and buying it wasn't 
uh, priority. Uh, uh, then when you <laughs> slid into my DMs to ask me to appear on the podcast, I walked out of my job and walked to um, actually like a social justice bookstore. <laughs> Perfect. I, I, I walked in, I'm like, oh no, I this isn't this isn't the place. This is a great place, and I love it. Um, and then yeah, I did I did go to the counter and I said, um, hey, this is a long shot. Do you have a new Brady Snellis? And the owner who was sitting behind me laughed loudly at me and then proceeded to talk about, uh, you know, Brady Snellis and all, all he gets up to. And uh, the cashier is very confused. Um, and yeah, he was making fun of me, but like I agreed. So it was a really great interaction, I feel. <laughs> That's great. I'm so jealous of that, guys job that like he's in a place where he can just roast a customer for wanting Brady Stanellis. Well, no, that's he's correct. That's the Yeah, thing. I mean, yeah. For sure, for sure, but like he's, the fact that right he didn't to roast me. <laughs> but the fact that like he didn't feel like he had to be polite about it. Like I also work at a bookstore and like people come up to me and ask like, "Oh, do you have any Jordan Peterson books?" and I feel like I have to be like, mm, no, sorry. I don't feel like I can be like, that shit's dumb. Um, yeah, that's, so that's this guy's good. just living my dream. <laughs> uh, so you read white. Did you? Did they have it at the social justice bookstore? No. <laughs> of course. Why would they? I was why would to they? ask. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like, I knew. You, I knew they yeah. wouldn't. I asked because like, I knew something more would come from that exchange. Uh, but you found a copy eventually. Um, so we've read the book and now here we are to discuss it. So what? Uh, what's your, like, overall, would you say that this book hit the notes you were expecting it to hit? Did you feel like, did you feel surprised by what this book had to offer? Um. Um, I guess I have two minds about it because I, I, I feel like I know Brett better than I know myself. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, but there was actually some surprising depth in um, addition to the bad stuff, which there was a lot of bad stuff, but um, there were insights about Brett that, like, that Brett knew that I didn't know he knew. Um, so that was sort of surprising. Oh, that's interesting. What, what were some of the things that you didn't know he knew about himself? Like, um, he's very deeply empathetic. And I think in this book, he's just sort of turning it in the wrong direction, but sort of at the end of having a great point. Um, I, I, mm. I know he's sensitive, and that's why he acts like this. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but yeah, that was sort of strange. Also, I do want to talk about it later. There, there was someone in 2006 who broke Brett's heart and I think that's also a large part of why he's like this. He talks about oh. it when making the informers. I'm like, oh my God, Brett, why can't you go on your own podcast and like dish this gossip? Right. Who hurt you? Who hurt my son? <laughs> yes, let's talk. Okay, let's talk about the boy who hurt your son um, next. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about Brett's, Brett, Brett the empath. Um, so. Are you are you f referring to like him talking about like seeing the perspective of of Trump voters? I can't no. remember when he does he talk about what? Are, okay, what are you referring to when you talk about that? That's when he thinks he's being empathetic. But um, I do remember a couple spots where he was referring to himself as empathetic, and I was like, mm -hmm, "Are you?" Like he he understands something about himself. He's just doing it wrong. 
Like I am a better authority on Brady Snellis than Brady Snellis is. I could have like helped him write this book. <laughs> For I, sure. Like the name of my tiny letter is going to be Let Me Fix Brady Snellis. I think I can do it real quickly. Um, <laughs> if anyone knows Brett, can reach out to him. Have him reach out to me. If he pays me like a cool like 10K, like I will fix him. No problem. And I'll enjoy it the whole time. <laughs> I would love for you to fix Brady Stanellis. I also I fantasize about fixing Brady Stanellis, but I don't know that I actually have like the strength of character to do it. So I think <laughs> I think you are the person for the job. Um, and if I can scrape up the funds, I would definitely hire you. I mean, okay, so here's a weird anecdote. Um, one time <laughs> in like 2014, maybe I did go on a date with someone because he was giving me them Brady Snellis vibes and. Todd was in the picture, what, I don't know, 27 year old at the time, something like that. So he'd been around for a while. So I was despondent about that. And this guy uh, hit me up on OkCupid. I'm like, you're messy. Like, at first I was like, "Uh, okay, I'll go on a date. It's a gay karaoke bar. That'll be fun. Um, You know, you might be cute. Your pictures, I can't tell. Um, You know, it's sort of worth the night. Get some $2 Miller High Life, do a karaoke, good stuff. Um, and then like a couple hours before the date, he's like, Hey, just so you know, I invited a couple other girls. I'm like, um, yeah, no. And he's like, well, you know, people don't show up for these things. I'm like, what, we're going to waste my time. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not coming. Cause this is a weird power move and I'm not interested in it at all. And he's like, what? And he tried to explain himself and he didn't do a good job. I'm like, nah, man, like I, I'm not interested in this. And then finally, he's like, okay, I cancel all the other girls. I just, please come. I want to talk to you. I'm like, dude, you're really like, this is kind of unstable behavior. That's like, it's not dangerous. It's just, this is embarrassing for you. And uh, then he said, I have cocaine. And I thought, (laughs) yes, this is, this is my buddy Sonellis. I'm going to fix him. (laughs) Um, And did you fix him? Yeah, actually, uh, quite a bit. I mean, not all the way. I didn't want to spend that much time with him, but we had a sort of friendship over the next year. Um, he went out on a date also with one of my friends and sort of tried to get more in our lives that way, but he wasn't interesting, and I'm not interested in cocaine. Uh, okay. But, like, uh, that night, like, he was talking about, you know, feminism, you know, why why do they do that? Why do they hold on to, like, these things that are, like, traumatic and triggering or whatever? Like I was sexually abused as a kid and like, I'll make a big deal about it. And I sort of looked at him and I said, Hey, this is the first date and you're talking about that. So maybe it's a bigger thing than you think it is for you. And I watched the mind get blown in real time. Wow. That's a good man. That's a good point. I do think this, this antidote, Anecdote, anecdote alone, I feel like tells me that you have it in you to fix Brett. <laughs> if only, if only you got the chance. Let me fix Brett Sinellis. Yeah, let's start a Twitter campaign. Oh my God. Let Liz Andre fix Brady Sinellis 2019. This is, this is my new job. I, this is my <laughs> calling. I, I found Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so do you think he, do you think he really is? empathetic as empathetic as he sees himself or do you do you think that that's just something that he believes about himself i feel like some some people see themselves as empaths and it's maybe ill it's maybe uh ill-informed here's the thing i think he's more empathetic than he thinks he is he's just misapplying it um oh who's he applying it to he's applying it to things like trump voters um right because the people who are annoying him are his friends and like family 
Um, and so he sees them like sort of doing this, like br- somewhere in the text, Brett invents orange man bad. Like, I swear to God, I have a note on it in here somewhere, but like he sort of sees this thing and he's like, there's people across the aisle and like he doesn't know what he's talking about because he legitimately is not interested in politics. Like that's true. He just sort yeah. of like, why can't you all humanize other people? the way I yeah. do and like he does a bad job because he doesn't he's not interested in finding out more about Trump voters like <laughs> this does not interest him he doesn't want to spend time with them he just wants other people to see them as existing um yeah yeah I feel like for me I feel like him sort of like saying like oh we should like see both sides like there are people on both sides of the argument I feel like it's disingenuous Um, (laughs) I feel like the reason that he is like saying this about Trump voters to like liberals mostly, like, I don't really think he's that aware of people on the left, even though like Todd is uh, sort of a leftist, Uh, like he's, I think he kind of still thinks like liberals are like as far left as, (laughs) as the political spectrum goes. Um, but he's he's like saying to he's not saying to like Trump voters like oh you should empathize with like liberals, um, and I th- I think that for me it feels like the like empathy is kind of just a cover for the fact that he he wants people to do the thing that will make them not criticize his behavior <laughs> and not ask him to be better, <laughs> uh, and so being like you know like Trump voters are people too like we shouldn't we shouldn't be like. Uh, we shouldn't get strident about beliefs. We should have like understanding. Like, I feel like it's not coming from a deep place of like, yes, I want harmony among human beings. I feel like it's coming from a deep place of like, uh, you know, if people aren't like uh, aggressively debating politics, then like everyone's going to get the fuck off my back <laughs> about me being like wrong about stuff. I think he's coming from a place of I'm tired of my friends talking about Trump and Russia can we please talk about literally anything else? Which I do identify with that strongly. Um, I don't have those friends because it's exhausting. <laughs> right. Um, uh, did you read, have you read any reviews of White? There's one really good one. Um, what's her name? It was written by Anna um, Leskowitz for The Guardian. Did you read it? She like took it down. She she she's like she shut Brett down hard, and it was beautiful, but also painful. I didn't, but I feel like I should have. Here's the problem: I get really upset when people like misunderstand where my boy's coming from. Uh-huh. Like a friend who I like a lot on Twitter was just like sort of she just didn't understand sort of his point of view and was reading something else, and I did get like kind of angry, and it was like 100% on me. But it's just, <laughs> I, I hate Brett being misunderstood about as much as Brett hates being misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, I like, boy, I identify with where you're coming from. But I feel like also whenever Brett is misunderstood or just like widely hated, I'm like, you did this to yourself. Like I'm mad at Brett about <laughs> above all others <laughs> for, oh, for anything that happens to him. <laughs> Um, um it just yeah i and take him down there are so many good reasons it's just if someone chooses the wrong reason it's like there are so there are all these good ones and you didn't pick one of them right and it, i think it you, bothers me 
Yeah, you should definitely. Yeah, I definitely. I see what you're saying. Um, you, I think you should read the Anna Leskowitz review because I think she really does take him down like for all the right reasons. Um, and she clear me. Hmm? Could you summarize it for me right now? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so um, <laughs> one of the things, one of the things she says is that um, first of all, she's like, she. I think she says this man is surely made of like 90% dinner or something because of all the dinners he refers to in the book. He's just always having dinners ruined by conversations about Trump. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and, and she says like, um, she says like, uh, he's, you know, annoyed by all of his, his liberal friends. And, and she's like, yeah, I'm sure your friends are annoying. Cause you're hanging out with wealthy liberals. Like, wealthy people are horrible <laughs> like you're you're kind of like moving to the right in response to uh your wealthy liberal friends being shitty when actually it's just like uh no that's just a subset of humanity that's terrible like rich people suck you're one of them <laughs> um which i think is a really good point like yeah i bet i would also hate having dinner with with brett's like hashtag resistance millionaire friends um those people suck. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with her. And like, definitely, those are conclusions I came to also. I definitely need to read uh, that whole piece after this. I think she's definitely saying uh, the same things I saw. Yeah. She also said, okay, so she says, um, as the book goes on, Ellis seems increasingly agitated. He is insistent. <laughs> he's insistent that the widespread epidemic of self-victimization is actually an illness, but he sees no problem with his own out-of-control anger. He admits that at times during conversations with friends, he begins to hear an angry voice in the back of his mind muttering, you are the biggest fucking baby I've ever fucking heard in my entire fucking life. This does not particularly alarm him. <laughs> um, and he does, like, I feel like I heard Brett say in, like, promotional interview after interview, like, people are so, people keep saying this book seems so angry, but, like, the the voice of it is actually, like, very chill and, like, neutral. And I, I feel like I see what he's saying when he says that the voice is chill and neutral because I feel like on the surface it is, but it also seems like clearly there is, it, there's, like, undeniable rage beneath that voice I don't know do you do you feel that way actually like a full page of notes of mine that I've taken is on the subject and sort of um the idea of like internet outrage and I think that it's um we're sort of mischaracterizing what it is that's happening because when people are talking about things like hey that's you know not cool that's sort of a racist thing you're saying and they're not mad they're just pointing out a fact uh pretty plainly and um it Brad construes in here is internet outrage, PC culture, self-victimization, but he does the exact same thing. And he's like, but when it's him, when it's coming from his point of view, he's like, yeah, like, you know, I have these things. Like in 1990, he was unfairly maligned and it's been 30 years. Suck it up, generationalists. Um, <laughs> but I think it's sort of the same thing. Like he doesn't see himself as outraged and the people he talks about being outraged don't see themselves that way either. And I think uh, it's a large conversation that we should have. I don't know that like I'm uh, me on this podcast, particularly I'm going to get that conversation started, but I, I think it's <laughs> something we need to talk about at some point. That's a really good point though. Uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right. <laughs> um, uh, and another, like while we're on 
the topic of like sort of how Brett sees like uh, people who are offended by things. <laughs> um, I feel like Brett kind of Brett sees like our generation. I'm assuming we're about the same age. You're millennial, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think Brett sees our generation. He like he'll describe us as like puritanical. Um, and it's because like we're we're inclined to be like, hey, that's racist, that's transphobic, that's uh that's sexist. And then he'll describe that as puritanical, even though like I think Puritans were probably like very racist and transphobic <laughs> and sexist. Um, but it's <laughs> but it's like he doesn't really see a difference between being like you shouldn't say these things because they like uphold oppression versus like being like you shouldn't say that because like that's sinful like you shouldn't you shouldn't see breasts you shouldn't see violence you shouldn't like talk about sex like those are those are very different things but i think he sees it all as one thing i think that and this is part of the larger internet outrage there's also like being offended which i don't think people are like ever offended uh, when we talk mm -hmm. about these things like if you say something racist i won't be like oh and i'm like that, that sucks and i don't i don't like that you did it um but there's no sort of point of offense for that it just kind of sucks <laughs> right yeah being offended it's like it's like oh that's like poor form like that's bad manners that kind of thing is offensive it's like yeah somebody being like saying things that are hateful or that like uphold oppression it's like offended is maybe not the right word to describe the emotion you feel in response to that. That's actually really interesting because like sort of being offended is an active thing. Like it is mm. like, oh, there's a structure in place and you're not, you know, uh, upholding it. And then sort of what's happening here is like, um, nah, like the structure isn't very good. And I just think you, you shouldn't uphold it anymore. Like it's sort of opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, at some point, I guess now's a good time because I have some disjointed yeah. notes. Like, I read the reviews for this on Amazon. Okay. There's a 12-paragraph one that almost makes a point. <laughs> um, <laughs> the author, it's 12 paragraphs, that is an author at this point, uh, says, but only being exposed <laughs> to a certain kind of millennial, affluent, educated elite, and there's another demographic of millennial out there that is being disenfranchised by society and the media. Damn, good point, uh, author. Mm -hmm. uh, and then here's the conclusion. It's this, uh, de it's this demographic, um, you know who they are, young white men who took <laughs> the American Psycho in the first place. They're the ones being ignored in our society. <sighs> Beautiful. Yeah. And then there's also another one I just want to know. Uh, the author's name was Target Lover. Um, <laughs> Target Lover does talk about how great this book is, um, mentions Bennington's, and then says, we're in a workshop together there, Brett. Um, Thirsty in the Amazon reviews. I respect it so much. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I love Target yeah. Lover. Absolutely. I man, what what kind of life do you live to to be to go to Bennington with Brady Stanellis and and still be pining for him forty years later? How and also, and also, you're like so into Target that your <laughs> that your username on Amazon is Target Lover. I'm sorry, can you rethink that question because it all adds up for me. <laughs> like if I went to Bennington's with Brady Snellis, I would one love Target for sure. I mean, he's the one who like became successful. I'm probably like I don't know a teacher. 
Oh, like, okay. I went to the bank, maybe. Okay. And I'm not yeah. like 100 percent of the time thirsty for Buddy's nose, but like if he pops up, I'm like, hey, <laughs> what's good? <laughs> like they're probably living their best life. It's just Buddy's nose is part of that somewhere. That's beautiful. All right, yeah. I, I <laughs> you're right. You really you really squared that circle for me. And um and I would love to start a spin-off podcast with you that's just about Target Lover, honestly. I think there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah, I just I love this person. Um Um I remembered what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um is sort of Brett's understanding of what it means to be triggered. And who is triggered and when and why? Um, I feel like a lot of people on the right and in the middle um, are like don't get what like trigger warnings are for or what it means to be triggered by something, and they think that like anybody who ever hears something that they don't like or don't agree with or are offended by, they're triggered by it yeah. and brett is brett is a big uh offender in in this uh, uh, uh of uh, uh brett is very much guilty i think of not understanding what triggering means he he misunderstands himself so much like <laughs> that's the reason i hate him like brett why don't you understand your own look yeah if, if we just were talking about these general themes i think that we're like not gonna ever get into the words in the book because like, yeah. it is all about these things. And at some point, we are going to have to talk about a 2015 episode of South Park. And what <laughs> that means by, and I mean, every bodily fluid. <laughs> that, that one. What does he, what does he mean by that? You think of the normal ones like blood, spit, cum, mm-hmm. every, does that mean cum? Because that's definitely in the normal, the first time you say every bodily fluid. Is it like spinal fluid? Oh, sorry. By the way, listeners, I have an English degree from University of California, Berkeley. So I always take too many notes and uh, draw a lot of big conclusions from a little bit of source material. That's just my <laughs> thing. Sorry about it. If it annoys you, uh, I, I do admit it's probably very annoying. Um, I love it. Uh, I was just going to say, I have an English degree from the City College of New York, so I always don't take any notes and put my presentation together on the fly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're probably doing a lot better than I am, uh, and uh, probably a little less in debt. <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> okay, so... Still pretty in debt, though. Okay, go ahead. So my notes are ordered by, you know, chapter order, um, as some of them. Let's see. What are the general themes? Brett invents stuff. I think this is a big theme. Um, He (laughs) acts as though he's discovered a concept for the first time. Um, There's anxiety. There's 2015 South Park. He invents Orange Man Bad, which I think he actually did invent that one in this book, which is really great. What are my themes? Kanye West, obviously. Um, um, Before the alt-right did. Also, earlier we were talking about how he's driven towards the right. But I think it mm-hmm. speaks to like his fundamental empathy that he could easily go all right. And he, it doesn't interest him. He like those people love him and he does not care for them one bit. That's, yeah, that's true. Like, you know, that's like an th- audience, but that's not the one he wants. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hope he does not get driven further. Right. I feel like he is driven all, always t- towards like whoever is least likely to ask him to change himself. 
Yeah, I feel like he's just driven away from everybody. Yeah. (laughs) He started self-describing as a moderate, which is just like the lamest thing. He doesn't know what the word means. (laughs) But I don't know. I think he might be a moderate since he's he's like, uh, he's like, don't protest. Don't like make a scene. Just be quiet and vote in the presidential elections. And that should be the extent of your civic involvement. I'm like, I don't know. That seems like a moderate perspective to me. I mean, in that way, in the in the scope of American politics, he is a moderate. Um, I don't think it lines up with his empathy, but he just he truly does not care for politics. Like, and he, no, for sure. Like, <laughs> there was a whole New Yorker piece that uh, revealed this a lot. <laughs> Oh my God. Do you want to talk about the New Yorker piece? I already did. Lenny and I did a mini sode about it, but (laughs) is, yeah. Well, okay. Here's, here's something. He, after the New Yorker piece, he, he gave another interview where he was like, I was punked. They (laughs) punked me with that interview. Um, do you, do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like the interviewer went into that interview, like in bad faith? No, absolutely. I mean, the interviewer probably didn't love Barty Snellis, but like, I think the interviewer just wanted to do a good job. Like, this is entirely mm. my man's fault. Like, <laughs> he wrote the book. He should have known what was in it. Yeah. In, <laughs> yes. In, um, in a sense, I sort of see what he's saying because he's like, I was going into this like promotional interview and just expecting like softball questions. But this guy was like grilling me and like holding my feet to the fire on like stuff I've said. Um, and so I can, I under, I understand him being like, it was a much more like um, aggressive interview than I was prepared for. And I felt caught off guard, but like ultimately what made the interview like so hilarious was yeah that he didn't seem to know what was in his own book (laughs) he uh he seemed like he was only vaguely listening to the questions that were being asked of him and was not even trying to answer them um and he's like he's aware of that in in the the like interview he did where he was talking about the new yorker interview he was like yep it was a mess and i just have to accept it that was me it fucked up See, <laughs> but that's why that's why i keep coming like that's why i love Brady Snell, Snell's because he does like admitting when he fucked up it just someone needs to explain it in ways that hire me to fix Brady Snell's let me fix Brady Snell's this is going to keep coming back to this um but yeah like um i also this, I really love this. I saw briefly a piece where he's talking about, like, I don't even remember who it was, was for I didn't read the whole thing, but he was like, cancel me. Like, you know, I wrote this book, cancel me. Um, and I love it, but I had to like log back onto Twitter to find out what he should be saying uh, and referencing how people are coming after him. Like, he learned how to say, we say cancel now. Yeah, right. Like, he had to learn that. Um, oh, yeah. And then with the New Yorker, uh, oh, also like, those were softball questions, by the way. Like, do you think Trump has said racist things? I can't right. think of a softer ball to lob. Brett was just <laughs> not on his anything. Like, he could have pulled that is very true. It. He didn't. He just didn't give bullshit. That's his fault. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a good point. That is not a hard question. Do you think the president said racist things? That's a super easy question. You can say yes or no. It doesn't matter. You can answer it. Yeah. 
And I think this was this was like a theory I developed in our mini-sode. And then when I listened to his like post-interview where he was talking about it, I think that this was pretty much proven to be true that like almost off the almost immediately off the bat, he was like, I don't like this guy's tone and I am over this. So then he just gave like shitty half-assed answers to all the questions, but then like he didn't do it in a way that seemed dismissive. He did it in a way that made him seem like real dumb. <laughs> Yeah, it just—it was a real bad move, and like he should have realized what he was doing. Like, yeah, uh, maybe uh, probably a thousand people a day ask him dumb questions, and he shuts off, and he didn't like see the danger in the water for this one. Right, <laughs> but he what he did um in in the New Yorker interview, he the <laughs> um Isaac Chotner was like you know, if you don't want to talk about Trump, like, why did you write a book about Trump, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, but then, and he was kind of like, you know, I'm not really that interested in Trump. I, um, and I just wanted to talk about the reaction to Trump. And uh, actually reading wow. the book, I was like, I was like, honestly surprised at how little of it was about Trump. I was like, oh, you know what? Fair, fair enough on Brett that like, he, he really didn't write a book about Trump. Like, that's a relatively small portion of the book. Yeah, I don't. So I got. I got to give him that one. <laughs> I, I don't fully believe Isaac Chotner wrote, wrote, read the whole book either. Um, probably just in previous interviews. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's if I'm being real, it's not a super easy book to get through. <laughs> um. Yeah, I definitely lost my mind. Uh, there are two chapters. I took seven pages of notes, and about half of them are, "Am I dying?" <laughs> we'll be right back. People ask me, why should I listen to your podcast? Because there's like 10 million X-Files podcasts in there. I say, one, we give great commentary. Because all those other X-Files podcasts, they're just like fucking masturbating over Chris Carter's creation. Yeah. Number two, we will make you come. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> we'll, we'll hit a button sooner or later. Yeah, we're, you know what? We're going to cover so many fucking hot topics. And one of them, someday, going to be yours. And be you yours. might not even know it. You'll be sitting there listening. You'll be like, oh, damn. I completed. And I didn't even know that was my thing. Five stars. <laughs> Review, please. Catch the Double X Files Tuesdays at noon on your favorite podcast app. Baby, we'll treat you so right. So uh, then let's start with let's start with Empire, the first proper chapter in this book. Okay, this is like before reading this book, I I'm like what. I, I thought I knew a lot about Brady Snell, so I saw his inner workings. After this chapter, I am unnerved, um, and I, I know in my heart that this is true. I have I I, I understand Brady Snell very well because he had the exact same adolescence as me. Wow! So in what like, in what way? What did you guys What do you guys have in common? Book focused, um, the sort of horror elements. I got really competitive reading this. I like went and made sure he is fourteen when he was reading Stephen King. But he had read Stephen King by then, so had I. <laughs> and then I was thinking about at fourteen, my favorite author was Brady Stanellis. Um So that's <laughs> a lot. And like he talks about growing up in San Fernando Valley. It's sort of this, and I'm from Southern California. Like it's sort of 
don't know, melees, it's, it's always hot and your brain is half working and you remember things that aren't so great and you always remember how fucking hot it was. You remember being in movie theaters, less about the movies, although you do remember those, more about the air conditioning. Because <laughs> um, that was a real highlight of growing up in LA is going to the movies and having real cold air conditioning for a while. Yeah, and like his parents were lax. I, I don't know if I had an anachronistic childhood or if Todd did. Uh, Todd's older than me. Brett, by the way, I am still in my 20s. You know, if me at- uh, okay, so yeah, like, um, uh, I don't know, it just, it really, all of this, my, my parents were really permissive. Like, they let me read Freddie Snell's. They took me to a signing of his um, at the tender age of 15. Actually, uh, something else I realized is like, every old man who has ever existed has seen Less Than Zero the movie. <laughs> and when you're 14, they'll come up to you and they'll say, wow, that's a great novelization of that movie I saw. Um, it's really cool that you're reading it. I, lo- I love your whole deal. And they won't say anything about a, a child uh, around about your age being raped in it because they don't know that that happened. Um, just, yeah. So uh, let's back up a little. What are you saying about about whether you had an anachronistic childhood or Todd did? Does he talk about Todd having like a like having helicopter parents or something in here? I don't remember that. He absolutely does. Uh, it happens later. I think in the South Park area. Gotcha. Era, I think of it. <laughs> Um, but I think his understanding of millennials is 100% informed by Todd. And I think Todd might be sort of playing up a lot of what Brett already believes about millennials in order to like get himself out of conversations that, you know, get himself away from being changed. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. So you think like if, if a conversation is moving in a direction and Todd just doesn't want to deal with it, he'll just be like, millennials don't talk about this. <laughs> is that yeah. your theory? <laughs> I think Brett had this idea of millennials and Todd probably plays into it, you know, get himself out of those scrapes. Like how, what was your childhood? Like, did you have helicopter parents or were you sort of left to freewheel? Um, I had like, like hyper vigilant parents. We were Jehovah's witnesses. <laughs> um, okay. so I wasn't supposed to like go over to other kids' houses. Like they weren't like helicopter parents in the sense that Brett is thinking of. They were, you know, fundamentalist Christians. <laughs> um, so my childhood definitely was different from the childhood that he's, <laughs> that he's envisioning millennials having, even though it was like very sheltered, but it was like, even though it was sheltered, I also still like, you know, sexted with adult men on the internet in my like early teens. You know, like he he feels like yeah, right. Like he he feels like millennials and and like Gen Z, like like we're soft and and like untouched by life because we've been like sheltered. And some of us like you weren't sheltered. Um, and those of us who were, it's like, guess what? We all like, uh, we still we all became perfect. Yeah, we still got fucked up. <laughs> um, this I, this was something I tweeted, but he he brags a lot in this book about like watching fucked up movies when he was a kid and how like that didn't trigger him when he was watching The Thing at age six or whatever. Um, but like, oh my god, you're hitting on so many of my notes here. <laughs> we're gonna circle back okay, on great. a lot of this, but like you know, current, current, like our generation, we had kind of like unfettered access to the internet and I'm sure saw like tons of fucked up stuff, even if our parents didn't want us to, like my parents didn't want me to. Um, Goatsy at 11. Yeah, what? Goatsy, yeah, go- yeah. I didn't see Goatsy until I was like 14, but the point stands. Um, and then like current, 
current children, current toddlers are like getting parked in front of an iPad and the YouTube algorithm like feeds them like Nazi shit. (laughs) um, So like he he's like aware of attempts to like attempts to soften the world around us, but he's not really aware of the fact that like the bad shit still gets in. (laughs) Like we're still exposed to horrible things. He, did, he does have a point, both with helicopter parenting and then, like, yeah, um, he also doesn't understand that, but I think he has empathy for it. Um, we're we're going to talk a lot about this when we get to liking. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is why I want, I want to stay on track, because we can talk about Brett and, like, his understanding of things all day um, and not sort of get anywhere through the book. Yeah, that's, so, that's true. <laughs> we're, we were in Empire, and Brett was watching fucked up movies all the time, his dad taking movie theater. My dad was also like this. Uh, I I don't want to, you know, read too much into what Brett's dad is like, but um, Lunar Park resonated a lot with me in certain ways. Uh, my dad is a real... Uh, he's got a restraining order against him mm. from my family. Wow. Um, yeah. But he was, like, nice and, like, wanted me to, like, sort of grow up um, and do boyish things and... Uh, the, the balance of like my dad did cool stuff and he also is the worst person I know personally <laughs> um, yeah I felt really competitive reading this um just up against Brady Snell I'm like he's a brilliant author and all this stuff just want to make sure like my milestones are the same even though like I haven't done jack shit with all my brain um and then you talk you mentioned the thing and I did want to talk about this one. It's on page 19. He saw it uh, the summer of 1982. He was 18, right before leaving for Bennington's. And um, you keep, this is... Sorry, you you keep calling it Bennington's, which I think is the name of like a family restaurant with an S at the end, like apostrophe uh, S, but, but it's College? just Bennington, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, Sorry. it wasn't Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, he talks about how, like, this traumatizes him and disturbs him for years afterwards. And it's like, okay, Brett, you you got the empathy in there. Um, but I also love this idea that at 18, you see a movie and it breaks your brain forever. Um, do you have one in mind? Because I do. Uh, a movie that broke my brain forever? Oh. When you turned 18. Actually, yeah. I can't remember if I was 18. I was 17 or 18. Um, yeah, I think it's a real thing that I stumbled on. Oh, yeah. D- interesting. Yeah. For me, it was Hostile too. Damn. <laughs> yeah, mine was uh, Kiefer Sutherland's Mirrors. Oh, I don't know that movie. Mirrors? It, huh. It's Kiefer Sutherland. He's really hot is his thing. Um, He's but very yeah, it's hot. about like haunted mirrors and stuff and I was terrified of mirrors my whole life still am mm-hmm. uh, still don't really have mirrors facing anywhere where I will be sitting or laying like not near my bed oh. my also my childhood bedroom one wall was entirely mirrors so that was great for <laughs> me and my I just I've always been afraid I read a lot of stories about like you know the other you in there oh sure stuff like that um what if you see a ghost and like you can't stop it because you gotta look at that mirror. Yeah. And there's the demon behind you. You just gotta live for the rest of your life knowing that. Um, so yeah, that one was that I'm just contextualizing mirrors and why it was scary for me. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe we all see something at 18 and it fucks us up. That's and like that informs a lot. That's really interesting. Yeah. Man, that's a good theory. I always felt like hostile and hostile too must just be like objectively the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody's brain, but maybe also I was in a special psychic place at that time huh well you're, you're leaving high school the structure of everything like 
something's got to resonate. Yeah. And it's going to be a horror movie and it's going to break your brain. Sorry, that's just how life works. <laughs> oh, man. Hostel 2 is so fucked up. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's my notes on Empire is that Brady Snells and I are the same person. <laughs> that's outstanding. Uh, that's we 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 did we went in other directions after that um his, his in some ways was a lot better um and i think mine and the ways we'll talk about later uh is a lot better also <laughs> then we get into acting yeah, page 23. acting um and so this opens with um talking about american <laughs> gigolo and brett brett talking at length about how attracted he was to a young Richard Gere, which is both, I personally find both very endearing and pretty boring to read about. Uh, <laughs> he really loved Richard Gere. It's just, that was a weird pull. Yeah. Like, I know there are certain things like, like lesbians love Kristen Stewart and mm -hmm. men don't find her that attractive. Mm -hmm. So like maybe Richard Gere, that's, that's the opposite thing. Have you heard it's other gay men talk about Richard Gere? I haven't. No, but Brett is just so into Richard Gere. It's like that's the weirdest pull I've ever yeah. seen. And the one thing, um, the one thing that I love is that he keeps bringing up how blank Richard Gere is, and that's like part of it for him. He's like, yeah, his his extreme blankness, <laughs> which really resonates with kind of like his writing style. Like the I think like the sexiest men in Bernie Stanella's novels are like complete blank slates. Okay, wait, I have the weirdest note for this because okay. that. I got sad reading about because I noticed the blankness too, and I was like, "Oh, Brett, Brettie's nails probably wouldn't want to fuck me." Oh, um, you're too, you're too interesting and animated. Yeah, yeah. That, those are the notes I had before. I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, was, I, I'm too engaged with life. <laughs> and then later, he's talking about actors, and he says uh, it's on page thirty mm -hmm. um, below the cut. It says, uh, "Let's see." Even with a crazy passive-aggressive positivity, actors need simply to maintain their balance and defeat their hunger to seduce and control you. I've always found them endearing and likable. Mm. And that's the point where I was like, okay, I'm back on board. <laughs> I still got this. <laughs> but um, yeah, my, my first note on this chapter is, what celebrity did you sexually imprint on as a teen? Hmm. Uh, as a teen, I feel like my, my biggest my biggest sexual fixation as a teen was um, Gerard Butler. <laughs> And then the close second, close second was Killian Murphy. And but and Gerard Butler, it was a direct response to the Phantom of the Opera, two thousand four. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, and Killian Murphy was a direct response to Red Eye, two thousand five, because I just wanted um, a man who would seduce and then murder me. <laughs> oh well. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, those two movies are the two movies I've seen the most in my life because in early high school, I would watch them literally every day. Fantastic <laughs> uh, Gerard Butler and Phantom of the Opera. It informs Gerard Butler being hot for the rest of his career. Yeah. Also, those are two, still my two types of guy. <laughs> what What are the two types? Uh, like small, thick, mm. like small boy energy, thick, big dick energy, big dick bisexual energy specifically. Mm. Um, got like sort of a scruffiness, mm -hmm. not quite a beard. I hate beard, but like scruffy, yeah, scruffy. same. Yeah, I like a, I like a scruff, but I hate a beard. Yeah, and then Killian Murphy. I typically it's more the Kevin Bacon type. He's halfway into the scruff category. Mm -hmm. Like Kevin Bacon, um, the guy from Shrill who plays her boss. I forget his name, but he's also Hedwig. Oh yeah, yeah, Hedwig yeah. John, Hedwig. John, um, John, something. 
John, yeah. So <laughs> those two, you understand the Kevin Bacon type. Like that's the other one. Interesting. I don't think I would put Kevin Bacon in a category with them. I can see John, John, John. They have, they have that same cute elf face. The person I sexually imprinted on was Ming Tsai. So that one's a Wait, real weird pull. Was who? I don't I Main Ming Tsai's celebrity chef, uh East Meets West is his show. Oh, uh, still love him. He like advocate he has restaurant blue ginger and like he's an advocate for like food allergies and people with them and like listing all stuff in your menu and making substitutions to uh help people you know those allergies oh, wow. um he had i think he had a mechanical engineering degree from harvard and then went to like the ci uh culinary institute of america okay so like he's the smartest guy and he's also like just super hot i'm googling so that, him right now hard. all right that is a that is a quirky one i have to say <laughs> <laughs> he's handsome though, right? I have to Google and see what comes up. He's pretty handsome. Yeah. He's he's got he's kind of like a like a friendly, harmless dad. Handsome. Yeah, this has been like over like twenty years at this point, though. So okay, yeah, almost twenty years. Yeah, so like when he was younger. All right. Yeah. Okay. I see it. I see. I'm also going on this journey. <laughs> oh, East meets west. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was a cutie. I I see it. Yeah. Okay, he's. Yeah. I forgot. It's been a thousand years since then. <laughs> yeah, I no longer, um, I no longer consider myself attracted to men, but I am still attracted to men in narratives who are menacing. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm gay, but I'll make an exception for uh, menacing fictional men. Oh, I'm really excited when we get to recommendations. Boy, do I have, I have a recommendation for you that invented the concept of menacing. <laughs> I'm hyped. <laughs> we'll get to it later. <laughs> okay. All right. That's acting. Yeah. Oh, the one thing that I wanted to say about acting. So he talks about this thing where he had he had Judd Nelson on his podcast, um, and he was expecting Judd Nelson to be uh, sort of like uh, shit talking in the way that he finds Judd Nelson to be in real life. But then on the podcast, Judd Nelson put on like a nice public face. Um, and then after the podcast, Brett was like, uh, you know, if you, you, we should come back, but you know, don't, don't be so fucking boring next time. Like in, in a, in a jokey way. But then, um, Judd Nelson never responded <laughs> and he hasn't spoken to Judd Nelson since. So he's like, Oh, I guess I heard his feelings. I get the sense that makes him sad that Judd Nelson hasn't reached back out. I think so too. Um, and like, yeah. Did he write an entire book because like just, <laughs> just trying to pull together the different ways his friends annoy him? Yes. <laughs> that is what he did. Yeah. Um, but I like the Judd Nelson anecdote jumps out at me because like, it's not that, it's not like great gossip. It's not like that much of an insight into his personal life. But I still feel like it's the most he like dishes <laughs> about his personal life. Like I really expected because he is such a like he loves to name drop and he loves to just like spread rumors and like <laughs> make shit up. <laughs> like I really kind of thought there was going to be more of an aspect of like Oh, yeah. I was one time when I was doing blow with Kiefer Sutherland in the back of Spago or whatever, like more like celebrity anecdotes like that. Um, and there's like none of that. Yeah. By the way, I'm saying like a lot and I'm feeling very conscious of it because somebody somebody online recently made fun of me for talking like a valley girl. 
And I was like, they wouldn't try to make fun of you for anything yeah, else. True, but yeah. I'm also from LA, so <laughs> I haven't heard your likes. <laughs> yeah, if I did, they resonated. Thank you so much. But you know, if you don't like Valley Girls, you maybe why are you so into Brady Stanellis? That's misogyny. <laughs> so true. We can talk about misogyny later. Oh, okay. Let's do it. But yeah, so like that's it's like such a mild like celebrity beef anecdote, but that is like the most. The most he dishes in this entire book, which to me is very disappointing. Yeah, uh, there are two memoirs he could have written that I would have loved to read, but instead he just sort of wanted to combine all the ways his friends annoy him into one book. And I respect being lazy like that, but it, it didn't come out very well. Um, yeah, yeah. And so he's mad about his friends not coming on his podcast to gossip, uh, and mm. then he also immediately afterward hints at this fella in two thousand six who broke his heart and mm-hmm. he talks about it and just it, let's see what are the pages 40 no 57 to 59 like oh my god yeah and so he's talking about this actor who was like who he was like seeing who seemed like he was kind of like playing up his attraction to brett in order to try to get a role in the informers which is literally the plot of Imperial Bedrooms. Like this is so clearly, so clearly he just lifted this directly from his life when he was writing Imperial Bedrooms. Um, but this, like his telling of it here is so like glossed over and so boring. It's like- Brett, give me his name. It's, you just complained about yeah. people not gossiping. Please give me this person's name. I know. I'm so bad. Are yeah, you- it's like, I don't even, I like, I don't even care. Like reading this, I don't even care. I just, I'm just like, it just makes me wish I was reading Imperial Bedrooms because that's the most, that's a clearly a much more like honest and genuine expression of Brett, even though obviously I don't think that all of the events in Imperial Bedrooms happened. I don't think Brett's a monster, (laughs) but it's like, at least, at least it's like expressionistically genuine like it convey it truly conveys like his mood and his feelings about himself at a certain time but this like this book and this this particular antidote and this whole book in general feels like so sanitized like even when he's kind of opening up that's what he's but that's what the entire his point is that everyone's sanitized and here he is yeah but he's fucking doing i found this passage fascinating and it's almost fully highlighted um, okay. Let's like, hear it. Like, because he's just talking about this, like, poetically hinting uh, on fifty-seven. Once or twice, I tried to help an actor more than I perhaps should have. But, but <laughs> all the men at the center of the movie, and who are desperately persuasive about getting themselves cast. Interesting and unexpected things happen. Brett, you're writing a romance novel almost. <laughs> I found, but it- it's just like the back. It's just the back cover summary of a romance novel, though. Yeah, I found out there's just- a wide array of possibilities of a kind I'd always suspected was just another Hollywood myth. Brett, you are so heartbroken. <laughs> I mistakenly thought the process itself was real. I assumed the deranged. Uh, wait, I assumed the deranged optimism a movie that fantasy wouldn't required wouldn't spill out into the real and pragmatic worlds outside this realm. But you find out about a lot of things the hard way when you're making a movie. And then later, uh, or maybe that actor you've become intimate with is only that, an actor longing to be part of this fantasy. And it ends, this chapter ends, I believe, with, in the end, these actors never got the role, no matter how hard I tried. Brett, you are saying something. You're saying so much, and I'm listening. I have highlighted all of it. I understand that a pretty young thing in 2006 hurt you, and that's why you're like this. Please tell me who it is. I just want to know, like, for my own peace. Yeah, I don't even, honestly, I don't even need him to tell me who it is. 
as much as I want, like, I want him to get specific about what happened. And he can change names or identifying details. I just want it to feel like he's really telling me something about his life. But here he's he's just, like, dancing around it. He's, like, being vague and evasive. And I think this is and very I, vulnerable for him because, like, he's allergic to being vulnerable when, when it really yeah. counts. Like, he... That's it's almost odd to sort of bristle people and not make them push deeper. And this is yeah. about as vulnerable as I've ever seen him get. Uh, I yeah, think that's, something. That's true. But I also feel like I also feel like if you told us who it was, like it wouldn't mean anything to us. Like I feel like this person is not famous, right? Like that's why they're that's why they're trying to seduce Brady Stanellis into giving them a role in the Informers is because they are not a they're not a known actor. Oh yeah, it's not a scandal. That's, I just want to know because like. What I really want is to be able to say, Brett, that guy's ugly. <laughs> like, I want to yeah. give him peace of mind. Like, don't worry. Oh. We all had, we've all pined over people who maybe aren't as great as we built them up to be. Don't worry. This is a universal experience. <laughs> I want to be able to say it, like, in direct terms. Like, this person specifically, not all that. You know, how can be set free from it? <laughs> that's fair I was gonna say in acting he sort of makes a lot of points sort of after page 32 or so I have more oh okay it's page 30 okay so he's sort of talking about this uh the way he thinks of actors I think is fundamental to what he talks about in the rest of the book um you know he says this is what actors are supposed to do to make you like them um the struggle and rejection inherent in this trade in their trade makes just about any other profession seem sane and straightforward uh, the reasons an actor is w- wanted and hired are so random, often luck-based, and having nothing to do with merit and capability. Uh, and then at the bottom of the paragraph on 31st, uh, I think the most important point to him is uh, actors are, by their very nature, liars. Hmm. Um, and then on the next page, he gets into sort of, I think, where he'll be pulling from a lot, which is actors dread criticism and are wounded by it. Um, for the actor, criticism is tied far more intimately to survival than it is for any of the rest of us. And then, yeah, a little bit later, another point he gets into, that's after after the cut on page 32. Uh, he says, mm-hmm. let's see, he talks about actors and he's saying, signaling one's social justice virtue isn't necessarily the same as being honest. It can also be opposed. And I think this is a point that he will not talk about, but it does inform a lot. I think that, like, here's my galaxy brain take. Brad is noticing some things that really bother him about Hollywood, the place where he is. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I think behind the scenes, behind, like, Time's Up, a lot of things aren't changing. Um, There's Mm -hmm. these abuses he documented in, you know, books like Lesson Zero, Imperial Bedrooms, and he's, he doesn't like sort of the two-facedness of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think he has the words to express that in the way he would like to. So instead he sort of strings it together and ties it into millennials uh, because he can he can write 250 pages about that. <laughs> That's interesting. And do you think he's doing that like consciously out of some kind of like self-preservation or like it like he just genuinely doesn't have the ability to put into words like what he's observing or what he's feeling? Do you, do you think he's saying like I don't I don't want to call these people out because I'm afraid of whatever consequence or he's just like He's spot. He's seeing something not right, but it's he's not quite sure how to express it. Well, like was it Brett Ratner? He talked about for years. He's not afraid of like calling people out specifically. He is afraid of being. Seen oh, with um, are you thinking of Brian Singer? Yeah, sorry, Brian Singer. He, Brett Ratner did something else that's unrelated in this book. Yeah, Brian Singer. It is Brian <laughs> Singer. My bad. Sorry, Brett Ratner. I didn't mean 
say that about you. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm sure Brett Ratner forgives you. He's said worse things. <laughs> oh, yeah. He has said some things. Um, but, yeah, I think that, like, okay, so, like, you also uh, did English degree. You know, like, mm-hmm. when it's, like, the day before nine-page papers do and you're, like, fuck, these points don't quite slot together, but I do have to write nine pages. And you sort yeah. of, like, you sort of wiggle at the ends, like, sort of make them line up in ways that they don't maybe 100% fit, but it's, like, 70%. Um, and then, like, two weeks later, you're like, shit, I have, I just thought of a really good point that if I'd written this paper in the timetable I was supposed to, I would have been able to put it in there. I think that's sort of where it is. We're like, Brett can build the vocabulary to talk about what this is, but he's not doing it right now. He wrote this book yeah. and he did not want to revisit this book and make it better. Yeah. No, that's let's let's talk about that. It to me, it does not feel like Brett wanted <laughs> to write this book or cared about like the product he was creating. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I, it, this book feels like homework to me. Like I don't know. Maybe he got like a bill, like a a big bill that he needed to pay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean. I sort of think that like that uh, somebody somebody was crunching some numbers and some algorithm and was like, okay, like the thing about like the way that Brett gets in the news cycle these days is like saying something with a lot of bombast on his podcast. So what if we made a whole book that was just his his bombastic podcast intros? Um, and so somebody was like, yeah, that's going to be the formula for, like, getting more money out of Bernie Stanellis. Okay. And I don't know if it was his idea or, like, publisher's idea. Um, but it feels it feels like a calculated move to, like, attempt to get in the conversation and attempt to sell books more than it's, like, anybody's artistic expression. I don't think the way Brett calculates is that easy to spot. Um, and he says in this book, I probably have it highlighted, that, like, I've never forced a book. So that yeah. Well, doesn't he say I've never forced a novel? This is not a novel. I mean, in a lot I of think. ways I feel like it is. It is largely fictional, but I see what <laughs> you mean. What do you think is fictional in this book? All the all the things he sort of extrapolates and the conclusions he comes to um, oh, after, sure. after he's done making his good point and wants to sort of sail it into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I don't. I think I think it's clear that this isn't a novel because his novels are much more honest. <laughs> <laughs> this one's extremely disingenuous. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, my point is, I don't know why I wrote this book. Maybe I forget about the podcast because I don't. I don't subscribe to his Patreon. I have better things mm-hmm. to do with my money. Um, yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe he just was sort of feeling like writing. He definitely wasn't feeling like editing. He definitely yeah. was in like the last hour, but he did feel compelled. I just don't know why he felt compelled. Yeah. I don't have yeah. a whole story on that one. Yeah. I think one thing that I think is a little telling is in that um in that Isaac Chotner interview, um, he said something that like about like uh what was interesting, like what was like uh, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's something like, well, Isaac Totner says, you should have, maybe you could have written about this instead. He says like, well, that wasn't as interesting to me in terms of being able to pull things from what I'd already written for my podcast. So he's he's saying like interesting, but it's like, (laughs) I think you're just saying you want to kind of just like publish the stuff you've already written. I respect that. It's not that that it's interesting. It's just convenient. I respect it. 
Yeah, I, I, I respect it too. I mean, probably if somebody was offering to publish my my half-baked bullshit, I could get a paycheck out of it. Yeah, I would. I need that money. Yeah, this book definitely, like, it, it, it's a lot. Of, it really is the final research paper this semester. A lot of that energy going into this. For sure, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So in acting, I only had one more point because I did want to talk about him doing that article with Judd Nelson in the interview. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually... Okay, so he's talking about how, like, him and Judd Nelson, they decided to do an article where they pretended things were cool that aren't in L.A. Um, this is a pretty good story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and I found the article. I found a weird PDF of it because, you know, the original text is there. Oh, and I read it. Great. And the reason I did this is because he said Philippe's, the sandwich, Philippe's, the original, the sandwich place. That place mm-hmm. owns, and I was mad at Brett for dissing it. <laughs> like, have you been to their camp? Have you been to Philippe's? No, I haven't. What? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Damn it. Is it vegetarian? No, it's it's a oh. meat sandwich, and the whole thing is like friendship. Okay, that's fine, but you should go <laughs> talk to the guy at the candy counter. Like, okay. I convinced this guy's my boyfriend because we did talk for like 20 minutes last time I was in LA about rare uh, and discontinued candies. <laughs> um, and he did give me one uh, for on the free skis. It's called Long Boy, and I still got that wrapper because Long Boy is just a great name for candy. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's like old style. Like you go up to, like you stand in a huge line because it's famous and you just wait for your beef dip sandwich. They say they invented like Aju. Like the- they invented it? Yeah, that's their claim to fame. Their mustard Whoa. also is dope. It's like, it tastes like horseradishy, oh, lo- but it doesn't have <gasps> horseradish in it. Oh, I love a horseradishy mustard. Yeah, so you can go buy a bottle of that for like, I think $7 now. Go to Philippe's mm, like right. Candy and Mustard. Trust me on that. All right, I'll check it out. I'll write it down right now. Philippe's. Have a okay. meat-eating friend try one of the sandwiches, and you can get, like, their little salads. Uh, their okay. salad's a little too sweet, but if you add some mustard and salt, it's uh, less bad in that way. Okay. Okay. So I haven't been to Philippe's, but what I'm picturing is, like, L.A.'s version of, like, Katz's Deli. Do you think that that's accurate? I haven't been to Katz's Deli, but I think that it's it's similar in, like, the way that people sort of feel about it. It's a yeah. literally solid. It's like not place. cool, but it's like an institution. Yeah, like nine cent cup of coffee is another thing that Fleeps has. Oh, so that's why I read nice. this article out of spite. And uh, there's a couple <laughs> things I noticed in it that were really great. First of all, it opens with like them walking, like everyone has a frozen banana, uh, talks to <laughs> frozen banana, and like yeah, like I've been on <laughs> that ship uh, since well before Arrested Development. They got sugar and spice from dads in Newport Beach or Bubble Island and. It's good stuff. I love that. Okay. is great. Visit the candy counter. And then another one that I thought was really funny, and this is the real reason I want to mention it, is that throughout the thing, uh, there's a running gag because they're wearing like suits and sunglasses and like looking so cool. And mm-hmm. I think Brett made this up, but like every place they go, someone's like, what are the fucking Blues Brothers asking for? <laughs> what are Blues Brothers? Like it happened three or four times over the story that someone's just like, what the? The fucking Blues Brothers over here. I thought that was really, really good. So that's why I, I brought up this ancient article. All right, it's nice. Funny. Um, I'll have to look that up. So my only other note from this section is, um, oh, he's talking about Less Than Zero and like the movie and how that happened. Um, mm-hmm. uh, someone named Britta Moline writes about this much better in 2010 for an, um, a website called Pop Matters. It's called Lessons Zero's Julian Problem, and it's actually a really mm-hmm. interesting look at sort of why and how Lessons Zero got sanitized away from what it was and why all those great old men love it when you're 14 and reading that great book. 
<laughs> wow. Okay, cool. Was there anything from that article that you wanted to talk about or you just want to, you just want to tell the listenership to, to go check it out? I think it's really good to read it. It's about sort of what Julian represents and in that, in the making of that film and then afterwards and sort of about uh, how Clay and what's her face Blair, um, you know, it meant to sort of represent like the ideal, like white middle-class family unit and like Julian queers it up. And that's like, hard for the movie makers who want to sanitize it but then julian is also sort of like the hero of it um for anyone who watches it and like has a brain inside their head uh, it's, <laughs> a, it's a really good article um that cool. I recommend. that's pop matters oh. is the website and britta moline is the author cool awesome all right so did you want to move on to the next second self I section yeah second to say self all right. All right. What do you think of Second Self? What's the sort of thrust of, of Second Self, would you say? My big note is that Brett spent 1987 with depression. Mm-hmm. And what Brett notices is that everything is worse when straight guys do it, which we all agree with. Um, he For not, sure. He not ironically calls out cultural appropriation of uh, gay culture by straight men. And he's right. Yeah. This is a thing. This is this is a thing that he I've noticed about him, and I think um, I think maybe Lenny was like the first person to say this to me in as many words. Um, but like he'll 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 call out like yeah stuff like appropriation or like representation in terms of like gay men, <laughs> but then when like anybody else like when black people when people of color when women when um like trans non-binary people are talking about like representation that kind of thing he's it's like suddenly it's like snowflake snowflake culture but when it's brett talking about like oh gay men aren't represented the way i want them to be it's a legitimate grievance well i also think that he doesn't realize that like he doesn't realize he's doing this and like making these good points <laughs> like he'll see where he lines up with calling out the stuff and also yeah when we get to uh some later parts of this great work um he does i think it's post-sex he he really gets into it in ways that shows that like he he does have that empathy i keep harping on like he really does he's just using it bad hmm he has the empathy, but not the like, not the like critical thinking ability to apply. Yeah, or he just feel he just feels the like gut empathy and is like, what is that feeling? Mm. Yeah, just he doesn't want to apply. Maybe he he. I don't know. There's a lot we'll talk about later. I got okay. a lot of great okay. notes on this great book. Outstanding. But yeah, second self is just him being depressed and writing uh, American Psycho, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like it doesn't really go anywhere. This is, to me, this is kind of the, we're like solidly in the dregs of this book. Like this is the point in my reading experience where I was like, am I, am I going to be able to finish this? (laughs) Uh, I have nothing to cling to. I'm so uninterested. Okay. Here's the thing though. Like, tell me if you noticed this when you read it, it did make you feel his depression at the time. That's, yeah, that's that's fair. I certainly like it. Certainly lowered my morale. <laughs> yeah, Brett's really good at writing and expressing a big mood. That's true. I mean, that's true. And this book, like overall, was like for better or worse, was a huge drag to read. Yeah, 
like in a little bit, it a little bit reminded me of American Psycho in how much as I was reading it, I was like, I don't like being inside this man's head. I want out. This is actively making my life worse. <laughs> um, but it felt like it was doing that to me with less intention. Yeah. <laughs> like with American Psycho, it was clear that there was an intention, that there was a vision. Um, this book feels kind of like rather than it being like Patrick Bateman's novel, like this is like the unedited feed of like Patrick Bateman's just like daily neuroses or whatever. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree that Brett made me feel his depression, but I don't know that, I don't know if I feel like you want to give that, him credit for that. Because <laughs> you talked about on previous episodes about how like you can really create a mood out of nothing. Um, and that's mm-hmm. something that's like definitely to his credit as a writer. Um, and that's yeah. sort of why I re- registered in Second Self is just, I'm so tired. And at the end, I am exactly as depressed as Brett was. So I get it. I don't remember yeah. what happened. I just, there's Patrick Bateman and Brett was living with depression, which that sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it, there is like a big difference between the writing style of this book and the writing style of all of his other books. Like even when I hate the right, even when I have hated his writing, like I I experience a lot of ups and downs with his writings. I'm all over the map with how I feel about his books. Um, But it's like, even, even when it disgusts me and is horrible or is boring, there's like, there's a mood, there's a feeling, there's like, there's an aesthetic. He talks so much about aesthetic and I feel like this book has no aesthetic. I feel like this book has no like unique voice. It just feels like kind of like his unedited like scrawl of sort of like complaints. Yeah, this is fully a night before research paper. And I think he spent as much yeah. time writing it as I spent reading it. And um, yeah. I did enjoy it at a certain point, but I was just leaning into the madness of having yeah. my very good friend, Brady Snellis. Yeah. I honestly wish that more of it because – because like the the hopes of it being a good book were shot so early on, I was I was just like, okay, I hope I hope that he is bananas. I hope that it is off the wall. And I feel like he didn't even do me the courtesy of that. He didn't even have enough like fully bonkers takes that I could be like, how could he even say that? Like he 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 got so just like middle of the road, like just so like let's see both sides, like, oh. Uh, trigger warnings oh, oh, uh, partic- participation ribbons you talk about him inventing stuff he talks early in the book he talks about like we never got a trophy just for showing up and it yeah. seems like he That's feels like he's making a new point yeah <laughs> yeah so I don't know I feel like I feel like he makes me feel his depression but not in a good way in an artful way yeah That's fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> it feels like I found his diary I think that a lot of the problem, I can't summarize the problems with this book, not this one. This one's, it's got a lot going on, but I think one of the fundamental sort of issues is that he maybe has two interesting books in here um, and he tried to force them together when they're so wildly different. Like, like ultimately this moderate point of view, it works for him in politics because he doesn't care about politics, but he's trying to do it with writing and it sucks. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think are the two interesting books that are in here? That sounds like you have like a specific idea. He has the one you're talking about. There's just like 
old man yells at clouds. And that's <laughs> uh-huh. very fun. Um, this tongue, yeah. tongue gossip. What's who's the person who did that? There's some- a book about gossip. Yeah. Rob Lowe. No nah. stories. I only tell my friends. Well, that. But there's like an old ass one, like sort of kitchen I mean- confidential, but for mm. his life. Okay. I think yeah. that one was just to tell all. Um, yeah. And like, or make the like bad points about t- kids these days. He could even relate that back to like, look at me. I'm so out there and sharing these things. Kids these days mm-hmm. are too sensitive. That would be mm-hmm. like, a, it wouldn't be a good book. It'd be an interesting one. Yeah. And then the much more fascinating one is when I connect these threads of empathy, he makes half of a good point, like for the entire duration of this book. And if he just, followed the point to a real conclusion, it would be a really interesting examination of sort of um, the way that people from minority backgrounds are sort of infantilized, condescended to, they're not given power, they're not given sort of humanity unless it's through suffering. Um, So it's the things like appropriating gay culture, like these are things that like he has in him, he just hasn't looked at. And um, especially with the Moonlight chapter, I think he could have written that book too. And it would have been really great if he invested time in thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he talks about like victim narratives and like the victimization of, of in particular, he talks about like gay men, um, which is a real thing. And, but then he's like, his kind of take on it is that it's like, yeah, everybody wants to make themselves the victim. Like everyone's obsessed with being a victim rather than it being like an established power structure that like is only comfortable, like viewing, uh, viewing like gay people through this lens. He's like, yeah, you're doing like, you're doing it to yourselves. You pussies. Yeah. He gets like the wrong conclusions and he also gets them like 10 years too late. Like he invented in this book, um, (laughs) victim culture and and all that stuff like oh man the way his mind sometimes doesn't work (laughs) books just so much um I don't know I think he almost sees the edges of it he just follows what he's saying to the wrong conclusion which is also I want to use this book to complain about my friends yeah (laughs) true what do you think it is that like keeps leading him because he does he keeps like starting to pick up on something not just in this book, but like through his whole yeah. career, he starts to pick up on something and then he takes like the exact wrong perspective on it and he ends up in totally the wrong place. Like, what do you think that is? Is he like, is he dumb? <laughs> is he, is there some kind of like denial going on? But like, why does he keep making just like terrible points from like good observations? I can't say for sure. And it could differ um, on each bad point he makes. But that's true. There are some sort of themes around. I think it's easier to make a bad point if you want to pull two things together that are unrelated, but there could be a connector. I think he feels mm-hmm. comfortable making a connection, even if it's not there. Um, yeah. And sort of, and he doesn't stand behind anything he says ever, really. If you point out a good point, he completely flips around and like agrees with you. That's true. He is he is good about like when he gets when he has to face like <laughs> dumb shit he said. He's good about being like, yeah, you're right. I think, that was dumb. I think except in the except in the Chotner interview, <laughs> he is not good about. Well, he's blindsided on that one. He's blindsided. He yeah, part, he, like does the president say racist things? 
<laughs> I think, okay, here's what I think underlies it also. Like, he sort of enjoys that, like, oh, I don't give a fuck. I can say shit. Like, that mm. small part of it, I think. I think a larger part is he is sort of overwhelmed with empathy and thoughtfulness and caring. And the people he's around don't feel that way. They don't have those same skill sets and, you know, internal things he has. So he sort of sees the world through a skewed, rich place um, in L.A. And he yeah. he has an amount of empathy for the people on the other side that he doesn't know. But he thinks, like, you know, they exist, so they must have a point. He doesn't bother looking into it because that's going to be a lot of work. Um, <laughs> so sort of, and, like, it's interesting the way that, like, Trump voters he wants to empathize with. But, like, he has such a clear place to empathize with millennials. And he actually does. I have some highlight passages I'll quote later. But like, okay. he, he wants to, I think for this particular one, this, it was just easier for him to draw the conclusion that everyone's acting and, uh, you know, everyone's putting on a different face from what they mean. And my friends are annoying and my, my boyfriend annoys me very much, even though I love him. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is sometimes I think I lose sight of how much Brett's world is different from mine. <laughs> And um uh yeah, I bet I I I guess I can imagine like everywhere he looks, he's pro he's seeing people who are like espousing these kind of like social justice ideals, but it's just like all bullshit. Yeah, not looking and it's just talk for them. Yeah. yeah. And and he doesn't he doesn't know. I'm sure he doesn't know like working class people like at all. <laughs> I would be shocked if he has if he has even like middle class friends. Like I barely have enough money in the bank to make my next month's rent and uh, medical medical insurance. Yeah, um, yeah, and so I I think like yeah, I think a combination of like he does have this empathy, uh, and he also you know, is, is kind of too lazy <laughs> to, to like, to put in the work to like really look outside his Fair. bubble, which Relatable. a lot of us are. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I'm also in a bubble of like, of like poor and working class, like queer white leftists for the most part is my social is bubble. Like, you enjoy that. I do enjoy, I enjoy it. my bubble. Brett does not enjoy his bubble at all. No. You wrote a whole book yeah. about it. Yeah, Actually, but he kind of wrote a bunch of books about it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's kind of the only thing he writes about, <laughs> like this bubble that he was born into, and it's like he hates it. But also, like, what's the alternative? That's got to pull the common people. That's what we got to do here. <laughs> yeah. Version for sure. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I think that that's that's like a kind of deadly combination. Is like empathy for people suffering, and like kind of like the laziness of not like looking outside his own experience like empathy but kind of intellectual laziness yeah. <laughs> and then also the fact that like the the people that he sees in his life probably for the most part are like kind of bullshit con artists who are just in for themselves as i think that all <laughs> the vast majority of wealthy people yeah, are. Like, but you just got bad friends is all you, yeah you <laughs> yeah yeah so then about your bad friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then I think maybe maybe part of the thing of him like making a good observation and then taking a bad perspective on it is that it's like when he if he feels himself slipping into kind of like the parlance of social justice or like the social justice like party line, 
he he pictures like the the shitty wealthy people he knows and he's like oh i don't want to sound like that person i have to sound like not that person so then he like consciously takes a point that he knows would offend them because that person sucks and he's probably right that that person sucks <laughs> i think he doesn't want to appear fake and he doesn't give himself yeah. enough like he doesn't empathize enough with himself as a human it's like we oh. all do it a little bit and you can just admit that Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think we do need to talk about liking now uh, because let's talk really about liking. Going there. Mm -hmm. so All right. Liking. Now, earlier when we weren't recording, you said was it you said that liking is where the book starts to go insane, and post sex is where you start to go insane. Was that what you said? Yeah, liking the book is insane. Post sex is where I go insane. <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's get into it. Let's get into Brett going insane. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that sounds so great for me right now. Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing about liking. It opens up with a story uh, which shows me that, you know, it was 1986 at the time, and Brett still has not, in 2019, discovered internalized misogyny. Um, his friend hates the Bengals because they're <laughs> fake, and, you know, they lean into this being hot girls thing, and she makes fun of uh, Susanna Hoff's vocals. Um, and it makes Brett feel bad. And the conclusion he's come to in 2019 is that, like, you know, um, I, I don't understand what offends people, which, like, I think he just on that one, he's been thinking about it too long because he does say, like, it, it makes me sad whenever I hear the bangles. I think about this conversation and I think he got the wrong conclusions. He also has this line I want to highlight. It's um, I'd had to watch and reject it repeatedly throughout my adolescence and young adulthood stereotypes that my straight friends and classmates seem to take for granted. So, like, there's a real sense of suffering on his end. I was going to say, like, in this story, it's interesting because I think his friend's in the wrong and he's in the right. And, like, he feels a weird mm -hmm. sensitivity because he, he concludes with, I was never good at realizing what might offend someone anyways. Mm. And I think, like, Brett, you were in the right on this. You're thinking about, like, sort of how you felt as a closeted gay man as a youth. And, like, when you put it against this thing, which wasn't journalized misogyny, like, it, it, you didn't find an answer. And I think that's correct. She she was like offended by how like cutesy and like sexualized they were. Well, they become because they were like they had become because they started like more edgy. Yeah, they're underground, and then she hated it when they got big. And on one fourteen near the bottom, it says, uh, "I'll never forget her mocking Susanna Hoff's baby doll vocals as we drove to the theater in the rainy deserted town. I wish it was mm -hmm. a Sunday because that's my fun day. My I don't have to run mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And it's like she's clearly just like." She doesn't she's uncomfortable with something that's fair, but like she's what she's doing is making fun of a young woman uh, for the way that she mm. sounds, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's and she's just doing the like go to like shitty college thing of being like, I liked them before they sold out. Yeah. Like <laughs> who among us has never been a cool girl? Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> said things are like, well, you know, girl, women would like, you know, be better if they did this. But like, you know, I'm not like those other girls. Like, we're all right. that, so I don't fault her too much. I think this conversation just happened at a weird time for Brett because he does write about it in this great book I love so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he says that like he thinks about this interaction a lot, right? Yeah, I he's like, he it didn't good. like at the, He says like at the time it didn't seem like a big deal, but for some reason I just think about it again and again. Which I, I have, in, I've had interactions like that in my life too, where I still like, they pop into my head and I'm like, why am I still thinking about this? Yes, yeah, 2 a.m. you're looking at the ceiling and you're thinking, damn, did she have a point about Susanna Hoff? <laughs> yeah. 
and I guess, yeah, maybe it was the the first time, <laughs> like the maybe it was like the first time that he had a female friend be like, I don't like this version of femininity. It was like a brand new concept or something. Yeah, Brett, Brett does have a lot of conversations where like Brett encounters a woman and he, he hates it. <laughs> yeah, Brett. Oh boy, Brett does not understand women. I don't think he's a gay man. He's a gay man. Yeah. I don't think he understands women. I don't think he cares much about women. I don't think he really has any use for women. And I can empathize, I can empathize with that as a lesbian because <laughs> I feel similarly about men late of late for the most part. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. I don't care. <laughs> Is Brett Easton Ellis like a queer icon, like a lesbian icon? Uh, I would say so. Yes, I feel comfortable saying that Brett is an honor. Like Thor, <laughs> honorary an lesbian icon. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's this thing. Um, I love gay male misogyny. Is what I call it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Like Brian Fuller also does it. He did like Hannibal, um, Dead Like Me, Pushing Daisies, a Star Trek Enterprise that. for a while. Uh-huh. Um, and like he really does not understand women. He does not care to, he does not need to because he's a gay man and he is not hurting women by not caring about them or thinking about what they get up to. Um, <laughs> something I find deeply, deeply charming. <laughs> so funny. My go-to um, gay male misogyny icon other than Brett is, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Dan Savage. That's mm. that's like my number one association with gay male misogyny. How do you feel about Dan Savage? I don't. Great. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> um, yeah, Brett is so is so funny. I feel like, uh, yeah, just baffled by women. Truly, <laughs> do you ever? I don't know if you have followed him on Twitter for a long yeah. time, but yeah, years ago he tweeted like, "I had dinner with three friends, one of them female, <laughs> and we all and we all agreed that women are inherently other and unknowable." <laughs> It's his, his bad take. And I think I like it also because he doesn't have really much power. No one's going to Brett for like woman opinions. Yeah. Like no one. Yeah. It's like uh, Brett says women can't be directors. That one did get a little because it was like reported wi- widely. But like it was just more embarrassing for him. And like he th- talks about it in this book where he's like, you know, I'd had a couple of drinks. So like this was just amusing. I don't know why people made a big deal of it. It's like, well, because he did say it on the record and he didn't like, sort of quantify what was happening. You didn't say, hey, I'm pretty drunk and this is just a dumb thing I'm about to say, but. Yeah. Yeah. He never backs down from an opinion until he's been like aggressively roasted about it for a while. Like he's never just like, you know, I've done some like soul searching and I would change my perspective on this. It's always an external impetus of like, okay, I've been mocked too much. I'm going to back down. Well, you talked about him in the Laura Jane Grace episode of his podcast, right? Uh, yeah, or, like, he's pushing her to like talk about PC culture, and then she's like, uh, treating people well, and he's like, yeah, yeah. So he also <laughs> he backs down when he's been like punked to death, sort of. Yeah. But I think he actually does like change his mind when someone says a reasonable thing in a tone he understands. That's true, but yeah, I feel like I feel like you know, Laura Jane Grace says, um, <laughs> I think you should treat people well, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 of course. <laughs> and then if something else. If somebody else said in like the same reasonable tone, like, you know, anybody should be able to do whatever they want to anybody with no consequences. He'd be like, yeah, 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 of course. Like, I feel like he's in a way like very impressionable. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, like, little baby duck just ready to imprint on whoever. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he really just like, you know, whoever is like going to be nice to him and like not ask too much of him, he's like, yeah, I'm on board with you, like your point of view. <laughs> Let me fix Buddy Snellis. He'll love it. Please fix Please fix him. Please fix him. <laughs> right, so here we go into liking. Oh, yeah. man. Well, this is no unrelated anything, but I did say what, uh, Brett, his confused exhaustion for wisdom. I call this terminal chillness. I think that's a phrase we should get started. Terminal chillness. Terminally chill. Oh, my God. Yes, Liz. Liz Andre coined it here. Brett Easton Ellis is dying of terminal chillness. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I really, I really like that a lot. I did think it was a good point. Okay, so here's the thing. One time in 1990, Brett actually did experience an unfair thing. And we can talk about that because it's interesting. Like, yeah. he was being lambasted for uh, American Psycho before it even came out. People didn't look at it, um, you know, sort of through whatever lens that I think you and I would look at it through, um, which is that, yeah. like not, a, not Brett's explicit real feelings about women, for sure. Right. And like, yeah, you can make art that's like gross. And I think we do have grounds to do that more now, but there's a weird point in 1990 where Freddie Snell's got his ass kicked for no good reason. Yeah. Yeah. It is like, yeah, the more I learn about the reception to American Psycho, it does make sense that he is so, is so opposed to like, he he's so wary of the possibility of like a Twitter mob or or of like uh you know group think of people like just kind of jumping on board with the party line um and like he maybe sees that happening in places where it's not because the one time that it did happen to him it was a big deal and he talks about actually getting death threats from people who thought who thought that the events in American Psycho really happened and that he just was a serial killer who wrote an autobiography which is incredibly stupid it's just it, it was really bad and really scary for him and it really yeah. sucked and like we can talk about that and also talk about just, how he's saying some dumb shit now based on that because like one time a bad thing happened to brett ellis and it was real and he is afraid of he has an anxiety and fear about something that is not a threat in the way that it was to him that one weird time it happened yeah and it is like it's so it is so strange to me that like that the the furor against American Psycho was what it was. I wasn't there in the cultural moment. I guess we were just coming off of the 80s and the 80s was a big time of moral panics, fear of Satan worshipers and all of that. So it was maybe still that kind of mindset. But it's just like why like anybody anybody who's okay with like slasher movies existing or like any kind of media existing it's like american psycho is just that but more extreme like there's there's nothing more like ideologically horrific about it it's just more like specific so if you're not like if you're not violently protesting like friday the 13th or whatever like why are you violently protesting american psycho yeah it doesn't really make sense and also here's the thing that happened to him, but then like now American Psycho's is best known work and everyone loves it, and that's the only thing people want yeah. to talk to him about. Yeah. Like, so yeah. So it's happened. like in the long run, he was not wronged. <laughs> like he did survive because like he didn't do the bad thing he's being accused of necessarily. He did some the, the, the misogyny thing, but like I think that's something we can get past, and specifically <laughs> for Brett. Um, right. Yeah. But like, but yeah, you guys, sort of. Yeah, and everybody, everybody 
likes American Psycho now or like if you don't like American Psycho it's like the it's like the minority opinion and it's and people people talk about it being a um you know a great satire which I talked about on the American Psycho episode I don't think it's a satire but um <laughs> but that's like the kind of accepted position on it um and I think like the majority of the kind of people who whose worldviews he doesn't agree with because he thinks it were snowflakes or like it's PC culture are still like, yeah, American Psycho is great. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it's like, maybe he should, maybe he should fucking move on. I don't know if it all worked out for him. Yeah, it's been 30 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know if it was on your podcast or if I just read this somewhere, but, um, oh, dang it. The thing you just said. Um, about how it's not a satire. Oh, right, right. Um, so, um, someone called him a class traitor. Yeah, that was Leslie okay, Lee. Okay, yeah, Leslie Lee. That was <laughs> He's a really great. good point um, that I really liked because <laughs> he is like writing about these things that like us middle and lower class folks don't see. And I think that's part of why American Psycho like is so influential and is so likable after you actually read it is like because like it's giving you an insight into how these people think and the way they still think uh, to this day. Yeah. Just industries change a little bit i work in tech and definitely i understand what's going on in this book there's a lot of tools to grapple with uh you know the world i live in yeah yeah you know brett should commit harder to being a class trader because i think there i think there is a possibility that he hates the wealthy like almost as much as like your your any given like <laughs> working class person he just happens to be among them oh he hates the wealthy way more than working class people right he hates all so like friends. start so like brett honestly get some poor friends i'll hang out with you let's get coffee i won't be weird y you need some poor people in your life i think it's going to do a lot for your morale I'm sitting here like I will be a little weird, but it won't be like it'll just be like doing this. I'll say these things to his face and that he won't be comfortable with that. But like I won't be <laughs> otherwise weird. I won't be weird in addition. I probably won't say be my boyfriend slash son. <laughs> so, OK, do we have anything more that we wanted to say like, about this section? Yeah, I have a lot more to say. About we have this a lot. Section. Let's hit. I got let's hit it about this. One. Yeah, because this is him. This is him losing his mind. Right. So let's. So Let's dig in. One, one seventeen, right at the top. We get, we come back to that twenty fifteen episode of South Park. Oh, that's right. Here we are. Yeah. Oh boy. It just, I. Okay. He was going insane here. It had already been so much. Oh, by the way, when the uh, American Psycho thing happens, he does say here it was a scary moment for the arts. Come on, Brett. It's a bad <laughs> moment for you. The arts are fine. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just poor boy. Yeah, group thing, both sides, corporate censorship, thought crime, trolling a hater who should get banned, or as who would now know to say canceled. Canceled, yes. <laughs> get to South Park, the 2015 episode, that great one that he loves so much. He mm -hmm. explains what Yelp is, an app that lets customers rate and review restaurants, and I find that very cute. <laughs> That sort of makes me feel like he hadn't heard of Yelp before he saw that episode, so he thinks that maybe the reader hasn't heard of Yelp. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that will come up in this chapter. It's just like, oh my god, I'm having some real insights on Brett. But yeah, like it's just there's so much going on that it took me like three pages, and then I was like, wait, wait. He watched an episode of South Park in 2015, and he's like, I just gotta write about this in my book. It is this is so insightful? <laughs> so. 
Okay, so I'm just going to read what he says about South Park really quick since we, we yeah. hyped it up and I feel like we just got to pay it off. So he says, on a South Park episode in 2015, the character Cartman – I said that weird. I said Cartman. <laughs> the character Cartman <laughs> and other townspeople are enthralled by Yelp, an app that lets customers rate and review restaurants. And they remind maitre d's and waiters that they will be posting judgments about their meals. These Yelpers threaten to give eateries only one star out of five if they don't grant their every wish and do exactly what they want. In turn, the restaurants feel they have no choice but to comply, and the Yelpers exploit their power by asking for free dishes and making suggestions on how to improve the lighting. The employees tolerate all this with increasing frustration and anger. At one point, Yelp reviewers are even compared to ISIS before both parties finally arrive at a truce. Unbeknownst to the Yelpers, the restaurant's revenge is to contaminate their plates with every bodily fluid imaginable. And I mean every. every. The point of this episode is that patrons are now so deluded they all think they're professional critics, as in everyone relies on my Yelp reviews, even if they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Um, but in depicting the restaurant's revenge, it also provides a bleak commentary on what's become known as the reputation economy. Um, okay. So first of all, he says everybody fluid imaginable. And I mean, every, so I didn't watch this episode. I haven't watched South Park in a long time. Um, if he's, if he's going so far as to be like, yeah, even that bodily fluid, I feel like there must be like spinal fluid. (laughs) Yeah, stomach acid. But I guess <laughs> like, he, I, I'm pretty sure he means cum. It's just pee and cum. That's not. That's that's. Yeah. Uh, well, you and I, millennials, we're like cum, comes. Comes in the first time he says every bodily fluid. What's in the right. second time he says it? But I think for Brett, that one's cum. That's classic Gen X. <laughs> oh my god! So he he takes a paragraph of his great book to talk about this great episode of South. Just describe it, really. Um, yeah, all- he spends about as much time summarizing South Park as he spends summarizing his relationship with that actor who pretended to love him to get a role in the informers. Yeah, <laughs> even more. I just he he wrote the Netflix caption for this episode of South Park. It's true, and it's just Brett. Like this is not you. This is not Freddie Snell's <laughs> I know, but it is. Yeah, we're not reconcile. I think we can fix Brady Sinellis. The South Park guys, and I, as I've mentioned a few times, um, I'm not. I'm not keeping up with South Park. I don't really know what they're up to now. Um, but like South Park, uh, I'm pretty familiar with South Park from like season one through like 2010. Um, oh, that's still correct. What? You're on the South Park train a little too long, but it's still tr- correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Um. I really feel like their like their worldview it reminds me of Brett's worldview like the, they seem like the most comparable to Brett oh, yeah. of like any public figures. That's why I love this and episode. When I, yeah, and when I saw that he was talking about South Park, I was like, "Okay, let's hear it." And then it's such it's fucking nothing. He just summarizes a plot about Yelp and then he has like he spends like 50% as long kind of commenting on what that means for society as he spends summarizing the episode and then he it's done and he moves on. Which like great that he doesn't spend that much time summarizing it because he is incorrect in his conclusions. Yeah, so deduction, uh, baby. <laughs> so what conclusion does he draw about this that uh, it's a bleak commentary on the reputation economy, but like he's saying stuff that like was had already been said a lot by 2015. That's why South Park yeah. got to it. He's kind of right. South Park four years behind South Park. 
That's Ooh. grim. So <laughs> this is about where I remembered, oh yeah, Brett is 1,000 years old. That's true. He is <laughs> unspeakable. And like that sort of brought me back into the empathizing with him because I'm like, Brett, what are you talking about? It's like, right, you you walk the earth like with the dinosaurs. So I, I, I'm going to go with you on this one. Um, yeah, he also says multiple times that services today are rating us back. Yeah, <laughs> and he's terrified about that. He says it multiple times. He's like, Uber and Airbnb rate their customers. It's like, Brett, they don't. You realize that, right? They don't. That's other customers. That's other users rating the, the customer. Oh, that's true. That's true. The company isn't. But he thinks it's, it's the company. Just... Brett, that's wrong. Yeah, that, that's true. He is wrong. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it is like the service provider is rating you back. Like your Uber driver rates you back. But yeah, that's not a corporation rating you. It's a one human being. Well, here's why I think it's important is because he does mm -hmm. build a lot of the points he tries to make on that idea that like the corporations are rating you and like you're serving the corporation. Mm -hmm. I don't think he sees that it is like a people to people economy where people are the product. He gets that part. But I think he like gives corporations a little more agency i guess and mm. what they do in the specific way that he gives them this credit yeah yeah he that's that's a good point he's he's right that they're a malevolent force yeah. <laughs> but he's maybe yeah he sees them as more active and less like passively evil <laughs> yeah it's like airbnb yeah. does not rate you the person you interact with right. via airbnb rates you yeah, you're just two users who rate each other. You're right. You're totally right about like, that. Yeah, I didn't even like these organizations are evil. It's just not in the specific way Brett is calling out. Yeah, honestly, I feel like the point such as it is that he builds to from here, like, okay, he says, like, we're getting rated by the company. Uh, and then he says, when everybody claims to be a specialist with a voice that deserves to be heard, this actually makes each person's voice less meaningful. All we've really done is set ourselves up to be sold to, branded, targeted, data mined. But this is the logical endgame of the democratization of culture and the dreaded cult of inclusivity. So he's like, okay, you're giving all your information away to like Facebook and that's the that's the natural end result of like wanting to be inclusive which insists everybody has to live under the same umbrella of rules and regulations, a mandate that dictates how all of us should express ourselves and behave. I have to say, I don't know what he's talking well, about. He doesn't know what he's talking about for sure. No one knows what he's talking about. He's just pulling something that, the point he wants to have out of nothing. This is just like, I stumbled across a random WordPress level discourse. Yeah. Like, I'm, It's really like ill- ill-conceived this is the 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 rougher parts of the you know last minute research paper it's like yeah. right are you you're, you don't even think i'm still reading but i am deeply yeah yeah honestly like you referring to this as the last minute research paper has really put this into perspective and really resonated with me because i'm like oh yeah i've written this kind of bullshit where i'm like as moliere is clearly saying uh the society is uh in infectious with and i'm just like just spewing kind of keywords yeah like it's a bad book but not because brett's a bad actor <laughs> because he's a bad writer no <laughs> he's not a bad writer I, he's just phoning it yeah. in he's a good writer he just he didn't do that here not with this one 
We had a lot of thoughts on this book, so I'm splitting this up into two episodes. Part two with our ratings will be out next week. In the meantime, you can follow Liz at on Twitter at MixLizAndry. That's MXLizAndry. Uh, follow me, I'm at Katie L. Wright, and you can follow the show at Brett Easton Pod and check out some of the other amazing podcasts on the Major Cast Network.